All right. Well, would you take the Word of God with me and turn to Exodus chapter 16? And um, we're going to uh, stand for the reading of God's Word in just a moment. But before we do so, let me deal with the f- a few preliminaries here. As we come to Exodus chapter uh, 16, we spend some time talking about uh, looking at an emphasis on the manna itself. And as we look at the other references, this is the first time that the manna was uh, given to the children of Israel. And this would remain with the children of Israel for the next 40 years until they cross into the promised land. Uh, and note, and uh, uh, interesting to know that it's going to be there every single day without fail, despite their unfaithfulness, their unbelief, their disobedience and rebellion. And that's just the kind of God that we serve, that He is uh, good to us even at times though we may be unfaithful. Uh, God is gracious. And we, we've seen that, I think, since the beginning of the book of Exodus and we continue now in chapter 16. We talked about the manna as representative of two things. The first application from Deuteronomy chapter 8 is that the manna is representative of the Word of God. He says in Deuteronomy 8 that I brought you, uh, I, I made you to hunger so that you might learn not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And, and Jesus made reference to that in his temptation in Matthew chapter 4. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is a reference back to Exodus chapter 16. But more importantly, as we study John chapter 6, we know that the manna is also representative of Jesus Christ, who describes himself in John 6 as the true manna from heaven. And so we made those comparisons between the word and the manna. That is something that we need daily. And then we also made the comparison between the manna and Jesus Christ, who is not a manna that, is, that brings temporary refreshment, but he brings about eternal refreshment, eternal life. And that's what John 6 is all about. Now, after focusing on the Lord and on the Word, we're going to look at the negative aspect of this chapter, and that is the murmurers. And so we spend a lot of time focused on the Lord, and perhaps it's best that we start with the Lord and that we end with man, that we end with us. And let's look at the murmurers. So what I'd like to do here in Exodus chapter 16 is jump around, because we've already read the chapter a number of times, but jump around through verses where we find what... uh, The children of Israel were dealing with in their lives. So notice with me Exodus 16. Let's stand together. We'll begin reading in verse 1 and look at a few verses this evening. So Exodus chapter 16. And we stand for, out of reverence for God and His Word. So verse 1 says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Uh, Go down with me to verse 8. 
And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Notice verse 19. And Moses said, let no man, now this is after God gives Moses the instruction as to what they're going to do with the manna, how they're going to collect it, how often they're going to collect it, where it's going to be, all those details, what it's going to look like, so on. Verse 19, and Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. Have you ever left food too long in the refrigerator? And the whole refrigerator sink? That's what we're talking about right there. It was left too long. Verse 21. And they gathered every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and see that ye will seethe. And that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning, as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is the Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And go down with me to verse 35. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years. Now understand, this is every single day, every morning, every night. Manna in the morning, quails in the evening. Every day for 40 years. Until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Canaan. Based upon the references in verse 20 and verse 27, I would like to preach this evening on this subject. God deals with the discontent and the disobedient. God deals with the discontent and the disobedient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, help us to see ourselves in your word. Uh, we know that the book of James tells us that uh, we should be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving ourselves. Uh, but Lord, as we behold ourselves in your word, which is a mirror of ourselves, uh, may we examine ourselves as we are commanded often to do in the scriptures. Help us to say what the psalmist says. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, help us to identify those things that we may deal with them. Help us not to look on the children of Israel uh, with 
amazement as to how could this be, but to see that this is a pattern of uh, human behavior. And so uh, we pray that you'd give us understanding, help us to respond correctly to what we learned this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to go straight to the point here as we've already laid out the case for the manna. We're going to look at the children of Israel specifically, and there are really two ways by which we can identify the children of Israel in our text. And those two ways are found with what uh, the Lord says about the children of Israel or what Moses said about the children of Israel, and they boil down to two areas. The first is that they are identified by their discontentment. Now, this is not just true here. Remember, it was true in Egypt. It was true at the Red Sea. It was true at the waters of Mara. And now it is true here when there is no food that they murmur against Moses and against Aaron and they murmur against the Lord. They are complaining. They are murmuring. They are uh, frustrated. They are discontent with their present situation. Uh, We know that they are discontent with their present situation because the impulse every time is for them to look back and to say, we had it better in Egypt. They wished for a better situation. Therefore, they are discontented with their present condition. And so they are known, they are identified first by their discontentment. But the second way we, uh, second way we identify the children of Israel is by their disobedience. Verse 20 says, notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. Now, the idea of them hearkening to Moses is because God told Moses to tell the children of Israel to do certain things, and they did not do what Moses said, which in turn means that they did not do what God said. And then in verse um, 28, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments? And my laws. And so there's two ways we can identify the children of Israel in this chapter, and that is discontentment and disobedience. By the way, that's a good way to identify all of mankind. We often find ourselves either to be in discontentment or in disobedience. Now, I'm not going to show, uh, ask for, uh, for a raise of hands here. But if I was to ask, have you ever been in a disposition of murmuring? Have you ever been discontented? I believe all hands would go up. If we would ask you, how many of you have ever been disobedient to the Lord? I think that all all of our hands would go up as well. And so what I would like to do here is not, this is not anything new, but I do think that we can identify some things in uh, this, this chapter that might help us so that we might gain an understanding as to how can we identify when we are discontented so that we might deal with it. You see, one of the great failures of humanity is a failure to identify when we are wrong. We just can't see it. Uh, we The tendency in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus Christ, uh, by the way, He commanded us to judge righteous judgment But you remember what Jesus says to his disciples. With what measure ye meet someone, ye judge someone, it shall be measured to you again. And the idea is that we are very quick to judge others to a standard that we are not willing to hold ourselves to. We see the failures in other people more quickly than we see the failures in our own lives. 
And so what I would like to do this evening is look at this passage and say, all right, how can we get some help that we might see when we become discontented so that we might stop it and deal with ourselves uh, and how can we find ourselves and, and identify when we are found disobedient? Because here, as we're going to look at their disobedience, it's not this flagrant disobedience. We're going to see it's, it's very subtle, uh, and, and we're going to look at that. But uh, may we identify that so that we can deal with it. But again, in this chapter, I just see the graciousness of the Lord because they murmur, and what does God give them? Manna. Notice, He gives them manna before they even get right. He says, I'm going to give you manna from heaven. I'm going to bless you in your discontentment. And as he gives this instruction, even as God gives them the manna every single day, they go out and they don't do what God says to do. As God gives them a blessing. (laughs) And so that's much like human uh, nature. So let's see if we could get some help this evening. Uh, from Exodus chapter 16. First of all, let's consider their discontentment. There'll be two main points that I'll expound, the discontentment and the disobedience. Let's look first at the discontentment. Now, I use the word discontentment because the word we find in our text is that they were murmuring. We think about murmuring, what does that mean? Well, to murmur basically is to utter complaints. Often we think of murmuring today as uh, you know, murmuring in a low voice of complaint under our breath, muttering. Uh, sometimes you find that with, with little children as you're in the house interacting with them and say, hey, go clean your room. And they leave and say, I don't want to clean my room. Uh, that, that's murmuring, right? It's a, it's a low voice under the breath, but nonetheless, it's murmuring. It's that complaining. Now, y'all parents, you, you've experienced that, right? It's not just, okay, good. So it's all of us. We're all in the same boat. And so it's the, the an uttering a complaint. It is a grumbling, complaining. It is often found in the Bible as a sudden occurrence. In other words, you don't find anything building up to murmuring. It just seems all of a sudden. And they murmured. And often it is attached to a circumstance when someone sees something, immediately they murmur. Now, we see that pattern in the book of Exodus. Remember, as when they left Egypt, as soon as they saw the Egyptian army, they began to murmur. And so it is a sudden occurrence. When they got to the waters of Mara, they tasted the water, it was bitter. And as soon as that happened, they began to murmur. And so it is a sudden occurrence. We could say that murmuring is the impulse of the flesh. It's the natural, sudden impulse of the flesh. And we could say, based on the book of Exodus already, that it it is a common activity of the flesh. So it is sudden and it is common. Now as we look here at our text, and really the first uh, three verses, we, we learn some things about the person that is discontented. Now in this chapter we see that the whole congregation murmured against Moses and against Aaron, And so often murmuring complaint spreads and a person begins to complain and uh, the other person that hears the complaint takes up that mantle and then begins to complain about the same exact thing. And so it's very uh, influential. Now let's consider the discontent. Let's identify some uh, ways by which we could tell that someone is discontented. 
The first way we find here in our text is that the discontented will be overly affected by circumstances. The discontented will be overly affected by circumstances. What I mean by that is, you remember the pattern that we find up to this point. The children of Israel were delivered by the hand of the Lord at the Passover. Pharaoh says, you need to leave, and they leave. And they, uh, uh, through after the ten plagues, this is great deliverance from God. But as soon as they come to the Red Sea, uh, they, they see the, the chariots of Pharaoh behind them. And as soon as they see that, they are overly affected by their circumstances. God had already defeated the Egyptians uh, by the ten plagues. He had humbled them. Remember, they had left Egypt with all their riches and the gold and the silver and all those things. But now all of a sudden, they are overly affected by their circumstances. In other words, let me put it this way. It's the end of the world after all that God brought them through. Then God opens the Red Sea. They walk on dry ground. And then as they were thirsting, God brings them to the waters of Mara, which means bitter waters. And they go there and notice they drink the water and it's bitter. And they spit out this water because it could not be consumed. And so they began to be overly affected by their circumstances. And what I mean by overly, there's always an overreaction to the circumstances. Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Is that why you did all this, Moses? Good answer. <laughs> and now there is no food. They're in the wilderness of sin. And now again, they are overly affected by their circumstances. Now, the reason why I say that in verse 1, it says that they took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Now remember, the, the reason why is they're heading to Sinai because that's where God told Moses that he would be back. And so they're heading in that direction. They're on the way. They're going to reach that destination. And it says, on the 15th day of the second month, after they're departing out of the land of Egypt. So then, notice, it's very soon. But it seems that every time that Unexpected circumstances take place. They are overly affected by their circumstances. Now, why, why do I say that? Here is, here is what I believe happens in our minds and in the minds of the children of Israel. They have a certain idea of what should happen. They were delivered from Egyptian bondage. They have this idea that, well, since God has delivered us, uh, we're not going to have any difficulties uh, we're not going to have any problem finding water. We're not going to have any problem finding food. Uh, we're not going to have any problem going into the land and possessing the land. There's going to be absolutely no difficulties in our lives. And as soon as difficulties come, they are overly affected by their circumstances. That is somebody who is discontented. Someone who is always overly affected by circumstances. You see, we also have plans. You know, we, we have plans. We, we laid out a calendar for the year, and we have plans for the year. Guess what? Sometimes things don't work out. And sometimes things really don't go the direction that we want them to go, or that we think that they ought to go, or that we think in our minds that a righteous God would not take us through such circumstances. And so the discontented is overly affected by circumstances. Secondly, the discontented 
what we find in our text, will seek out someone to blame or become highly critical of others. Notice verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now here is what we learn. The pattern of the children of Israel is murmuring, 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 when anything doesn't go their way. When something is unexpected, doesn't go according to their plan, they become affected, highly overly affected by those circumstances. And the first thing that they try to do is they don't deal with themselves and say, how am I in such a state? How can I get so discontented? They look out for somebody to blame or to be highly critical of. That's what the discontented will often do. He does not see his problem in his discontentment. He has to find somebody to blame or to be critical of. And isn't it interesting that every time they have to blame Moses, Moses, why did you bring us here? So they blame Moses. Now we know that it was uh, they were led by a pillar of, uh, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so ultimately it was God leading them, but they followed the direction of Moses who followed the direction of God. And the point is they have to find somebody to blame except themselves. You see, when someone is discontented, they don't see the problem of discontentment. They have to blame or be critical of somebody else. And and so here, as they often do, they murmur, notice, so they complain, they grumble. It is a sudden activity of the flesh against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So the discontent is overly affected by circumstances. He will seek out someone to blame or become highly critical of others. But the third thing we find with the discontented is that the discontented will have a corrupt or a grossly altered memory. Let me say that again. The discontented will have a corrupt or a grossly altered memory. Notice with me verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord. Now I mentioned this uh, two messages ago when I talked about the manna. You understand what they're saying here. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. There's only one time where God applied His hand of judgment. That was what? At the Passover. So what they're saying in effect is, Would to God we had died at the hand of God at the Passover. These were the same people that had put blood on the doorpost. And they said, Would to God that the angel had slain us in our homes that night. Well, certainly no serious-minded person, after knowing what happened to all the other Egyptians, would say something like that. He goes on to say, When we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for we have, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Now, notice what they said. When we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. Now, do they, do they not remember Egypt? We could go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, We hear the groaning by reason of their taskmasters. They cried out to God, and God had respect unto their groaning. And so understand what happens here with those people who are murmuring. They are discontented. The discontented will have a corrupt or a grossly altered memory. They don't remember things accurately. 
But again, that's what happens to the discontented. Let me put it this way. There is, when you are discontented and you begin to murmur, there will be an inability to think clearly. There will be an inability to think clearly. We, and we're going to see that in the book. Haven't we not seen that? Every time something doesn't go their way, they blame Moses and Aaron. They find somebody to blame. And then they overly exaggerate. And it's as if they completely forgot their memory somehow has been altered. Something chemically has happened in their mind that for some reason they can't remember accurately. By the way, that is what always happens to somebody who is always driven by emotions. The emotions will overrule a person's ability to reason properly. And so the discontent will have a corrupt or a grossly altered memory. There will be an inability to think clearly. We're not done. There's another mark of the discontent, and that is that the discontented will misjudge the actions of others. Uh, if you notice at the end of verse 3, he says this, For ye, now who they're talking to? Moses and Aaron. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's what you did. We see it now clearly. <laughs> Remember? The memory has been grossly altered. They cannot think clearly. And so what do they do? Well, now they make a judgment. They pass judgment on both uh, Moses and Aaron. And what happens is they misjudge Aaron, the actions of Aaron and Moses. And in their misjudgment, they, are un, they ascribe something completely unreasonable with regards to Moses and Aaron. You brought us, remember what they said when they were at the Red Sea? They, they said to Moses, were there no graves in Egypt? That you brought us here, out here to die? That you can hear the sarcasm. But, but, but what is that? A, mis, a discontented person will always misjudge the actions of others. Now, <clears throat> why does that happen? Because he doesn't see his own discontentment. You see, the one, and that's what, the teach, what, what Jesus said, the one who fails to properly apply judgment on himself will always, let me say this again, will always misjudge others. The only way for us to always judge others effectively and righteously is if we judge ourselves righteously. So, the discontented will be overly affected by circumstances. He will seek out someone to blame or be highly critical of others. Uh, he will have a corrupt and a grossly altered memory, and there will be an inability to think clearly, and he will misjudge the actions of others. But there's one more thing. And I think this is kind of the all-encompassing one, and that is this. If you go down to verse 8, And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, that, that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us but against the Lord. Here it is. The discontented is ultimately displeased with the Lord. The discontented is ultimately displeased with the Lord. 
Now, if you notice, and this is the pattern nexus, I, I went to a few references, they never come out and say it. They never come out and say. In other words, they, they find Moses and Aaron to blame. They, they find Moses and Aaron to be critical of, but, but they never come out and say, God, it's your fault. But that's exactly what they're doing in a subtle way. You see, ultimately, the one who is discontented is ultimately displeased with the Lord without verbalizing it. Right? And, and, and by the way, uh, that, that's, that's the pattern of human behavior. We think about, by the way, he mentions this in Hebrews chapter 3 to believers. And he says, don't be like the children of Israel that tempted God in the wilderness. Don't, don't be like them. And here's what we can do. We can be overly affected by our circumstances and become so distressed by circumstances when we are discontented. We can look out for somebody to blame except us and we uh, all, all of a sudden have altered memories and we think somehow that some, uh, some way that we lived was better before and we have a, an inability to think clearly and we misjudge the actions of others but, but ultimately what we are doing by our actions is we're saying we're displeased with God. Because God has not done for us what we think God should do for us. And Moses uh, puts the hammer on the nail. He says, your murmuring is not against us. Let's make that very clear. You're really murmuring against God. Now your appearance, you're making it appear like it's... Everything else is the problem. It's your, it's your circumstances. It's, it's the people around you. And, and you have maybe an altered memory. And you're misjudging your actions. But ultimately, you're trying to find somebody else to blame without coming out and saying it. But where, where, what you truly, truly think, what's in your heart, is that you are displeased with where, where God has brought you. And you're displeased with God. Now see, as Christians, we would never say that. We look at our circumstances and we're never going to say, well, this is God's fault. But we sure do act like it sometimes. You see, if we murmur and allow our murmuring to go on and on and on and on, we're basically saying, God, if you just gave me what I want, then I would not murmur. Instead of us being content with, with, with where God has us. You know what the Bible says uh, in First Timothy? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just be content with what you have. Be content. And, and by the way, here, here's, here's the truth for your life. You ready? I'm not a prosperity preacher. Things in your life will not go according to your plans. They will not. And you may have expectations of how things are going to turn out or where you're going to be in a year or two years or five years, and, and it may not go according to plan. Can I ask you this? Do you think that Contentment will be found in your circumstances or do you think that contentment should be found in the Lord? Despite your circumstances. You see, I think that contentment could be found in the Lord despite our circumstances. We should not be dependent on our circumstances for our contentment. We should depend on the Lord. He, isn't this what this chapter is about? He is the manna from heaven. He will give us every day what we need. That's what this whole chapter is about. And he is trying to teach the children of Israel how to find contentment with what God provides for you every day. You see, so what God gives us every day comes alongside. Notice, God didn't bring them 
poof, when he gave them the manna into an oasis, into this big kingdom and this great palace and gave all of them houses, they're still in the wilderness. Their circumstances have not changed. But what does God do? In their circumstances, he gives them what they need. And what they need is found in him and his word. That's what the manna is all about. Now let's move to the second ways by which we identify the children. The first one is discontentment, but the second one is disobedience. Now this is clearly from, uh, found in both verse 20 and 28. He says, they hearkened not unto Moses. So they didn't hearken to God. They, uh, what does that mean, hearken? They didn't listen. God says to do something, they did not do it. Verse 28, the Lord says to Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments? <laughs> Uh, this is a refusal. What is that? That's disobedience. Uh, something we, in our house, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I've told my children uh, to do something, and uh, it's funny, sometimes they, they don't realize what they say, but I'll say something, and particularly the younger ones, the older ones don't uh, do that anymore. They did when they were younger, uh, but I'll say something to Claire, and, uh, and I'll say, hey, Claire, uh, I need you to go this or go to your bed, and, and she'll say no, and I said, what did you say? I say yes. You, you don't say no to daddy or mommy. You say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. They refused. <laughs> now, <laughs> the manna is there. They refuse to do what God says. And God still gives them the manna. I want you to notice there's really two aspects to this. Verse 20, uh, notice verse 19. And Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. That, so that's specific. So <clears throat> they were instructed in this chapter to take what they need for today. That tomorrow there would be more manna for tomorrow. So all you need is today. And the Bible has told us in this chapter that uh, those who gathered a lot ate to the full. Those who gathered little ate all that they needed to. In other words, everybody received everything that they needed to be satisfied. And so the next day, there will be more for the next day for them tomorrow to be satisfied. So they should not worry about tomorrow. They should worry about today. They should focus on today, not worry about tomorrow. And so Moses said, don't leave it until the morning. That means this, okay? Uh, whether it's don't leave it on the field till tomorrow because it's going to rot, but also if you take it yourself, don't take for yourself for today and tomorrow. Only take for today. Well, notice what happens, verse 20. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. So, that's clearly disobedience. But I'm wondering here, and so allow me some liberty, because the Bible doesn't clearly say here, but how they disobeyed a command of God, not to leave it till the morning. That means whether it's don't take for you a portion for today and tomorrow, or don't leave it outside. If it was left outside, it melted. That's what the Bible says. If you took it unto you and to your house for tomorrow, tomorrow when the morning came, uh, it bred worms and it stinketh. That's what the Bible says. So what would push, now I know it's a direct disobedience to take for two days, according to what God says. But let me ask you this. Why would they take a portion for today and tomorrow? 
Maybe they don't believe that God will provide for tomorrow. So their disobedience is revealed by their unbelief. They did not hearken unto God. Why? Because they did not believe that God would give them what they needed for tomorrow. They had to gather for two days. And they did not trust God for tomorrow. Now we're going to go in Hebrews chapter 3. And I believe that what is said in Hebrews chapter 3 confirms that their disobedience was revealed by their unbelief. I will get the manna for today, but I can't trust God with tomorrow. Unbelief. Now, I do want to say here that the Bible says some of them left until the morning. And so, it was not the whole congregation, but some of them. If you go down to verse 27, And it came to pass that there went out some of the people, so again, some of the people, on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. <laughs> so, there, you see those two commands? Uh, it says in verse 28, they refused. So here's what happened. God said, I will give you manna uh, from day one to day five. I will give you what you need for each one of those days. Don't gather for tomorrow. You will have what I will give you tomorrow. Trust me. Don't gather for two days. If you gather for two days on, on day two, what you gathered in extra will stink. If you leave it out in the sun, it will melt. That's what's going to happen. When you get to the sixth day, however... You're going to gather for two days. That means because I don't want you to go out on the Sabbath day and gather manna. There will be no manna on the seventh day. And I want you to know that if you do gather for two days on the sixth day, for the sixth and the seventh day, on the seventh day, the manna that you gather will not stink and it will not bread worms. So God's going to do a miracle. So again, here's the first time is don't gather more than you need. Don't think that God's not going to provide for tomorrow. But then, gather for two days, and the Bible says they refuse. So this tells us there's two possibilities. Okay, two possibilities. Either the children of Israel gathered on the sixth day enough for the sixth and the seventh day, but when the seventh day came, they wanted more, so they were greedy. Or, they gathered on the sixth day only for the sixth day. And because it was provided every single day, the first or the sixth day, that somehow it would come on the seventh day. When God says it would not come on the seventh day. And it didn't come. Now I tend to think that it was their greediness. In other words, they, they would know as soon as they opened the tent door that there was no manna. It was out in the field. So do you understand? The process that it would take in them would be, I think that to me it's not them walking out and saying, well, where's the manna? I think it's just them opening the tent door and going... I wonder if what God said is true. And they're peeking through the tent door and they see that that morning there is no manna. What is that? Unbelief. Again. Right? God says every day, don't take for two days. But the sixth day, take for two days. And in both cases, it's as if they did not believe God. That God was not reliable. That God could not be trusted. Now, hold that right there and uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay, why, why did God do all this? I'm glad you asked that question. Notice with me Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, In all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years. And so here is what God wants them to remember. I want you to know how I've led you. Now this is very important. What is all this about? It's about a learning experience. That we might know the ways of God. Because God does not work like man does. God is not a man. And so he wants them to know how he led them these 40 years in the wilderness. Notice, here's what God was trying to do among the children of Israel. To humble thee and to prove thee. To know what was in thine heart. Whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. So, so, so see here, God says, you know why I brought you this? I, I want you to see how it worked. Because I wanted to, to humble you and I wanted to prove you. Now it's interesting, you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. You know what the children did? They tempted and they proved God. That, my friend, is blasphemy. God is the one who proves man. It is not up to man to prove God. God says, I did this to you to prove you. To know what was in thine heart. You see, here it is. God says, you know why I did all this to you? For you, for, for you, it's important for us to think about it this way. It's not God doing something to them. It's God doing something for them. He was humbling them. Well, they needed that humbling. He was proving them, notice, so that they might know what was in their hearts. So you know what Exodus chapter 6 shows us? When they're murmuring and they're complaining, and God gives them the manna despite their murmuring and their discontentment, God says, all right, here's the instruction for the manna, and they still don't obey. And God says, how long are you going to refuse? And so what, why did God do that? Because He wanted them to know what was in their hearts. You see, those circumstances exposed what was in their hearts. What was in their hearts? Well, here it is, unbelief. That's what was in their hearts. Now, we're going to see that in just a minute in Hebrews chapter 3. Let's finish here, Deuteronomy 8. And verse 3, He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So he did this so that you might learn every day to be dependent on the Lord. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, and, and we'll be done. But here is, again, here's the pattern. God brought them through this why, so that they might know what was in their hearts. The question here is, what was in their hearts? Well, turn with me to Hebrews 3. <clears throat> now, obviously, I, I pointed that out back in Exodus chapter 16. Right? They gather for two days what they ought to gather for one day. Why? Maybe they didn't believe that God would give them what they needed for tomorrow. When God says on the sixth day, uh, you need to gather for two days, and it will not stink on the next day. Well, that's what God had said, and some, somehow some of them thought, well, I don't know if God can be trusted. So let's go out on the seventh day, when they were supposed to stay in their tents. Now notice with me Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, notice with me verse 7. This chapter speaks for itself, but let's try to keep in mind all that we've talked about. 
Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, and proved me, and saw my works forty years. Does you notice what he says? Deuteronomy 8, God says, I brought you there to prove you, but you tried to prove me. By the way, God is God and man is man. God had already shown himself faithful, but they had not. God had already shown himself faithful, they had not. Verse 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their what? Heart. And they have not known my ways. Remember Deuteronomy 8? I did this so that you might learn how I led thee. I want you to know how I work, to humble you and to prove you that you might know what is in your heart. And you did not know my ways. You were unaware of the work I was trying to do in you. Okay, verse 11. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So here it is. He says, now here's the application to the believers. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief. In departing from the living God. Notice verse 13. But exhort one another daily in what is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So what was hardened? Their hearts. For some, when they had, when they had heard, did provoke. Notice, they heard what God said. They provoked, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that, what? Believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Is it interesting that the problem has not changed from Exodus chapter 6 to Hebrews chapter 3? says, what, 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 what can we say? And by the way, that's the early part, Exodus 16, the early part of the children of Israel, but they're going to carry that unbelief all the way to the door of the promised land, and they're going to go and spy out the land, and they're not going to believe that they can take the land. But notice that's been the pattern all throughout. They haven't believed what God said. Remember, when they get to the edge of the promised land, they said, we cannot take the land, except for Caleb and Joshua. But what's been the pattern? What has God, why did God take them through the wilderness wanderings? To show their heart of unbelief. You know why God did the manna? Because He wanted to show them that when God says specific things, they did not do it. They did not believe God's word. And He wanted them to see that, to prepare them for the promise. And evidently, what happens? They did not know what God was doing in their hearts. So what did God do? He wiped out the whole generation and brought another one. To enter into the land. Now, the application in Hebrews chapter 3, we know is, is not, we're not like the children of Israel. We don't have a, a physical land that we're conquering and so forth. But here in, in Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about entering into the rest of the Lord. What rest, what, what do you think about when you think of rest? You think of contentment. Entering into the rest that the Lord has for us. Well, what prevents us from entering into God's rest? Two things. They're simple. 
discontentment and disobedience. And disobedience, as we find here in both Deuteronomy, Hebrews 3, and Exodus 16, is revealed by unbelief. Why do we not obey the Lord? What the Scripture says is because we don't believe God. We don't believe that if we obey God, then God will do what He said. We feel that somehow we, we got we to gotta test God. Well, we have to understand that God is testing us, showing what is in our hearts. Let me remind you, we don't need to try to find out what is in God's heart. We already have it. What we do need to discover is what is in our hearts. What's in our hearts? Now, those <clears throat> demonstrations of disobedience. You know, it's not that... Uh, Excuse me, to put, it is rebellion, but it's not the big sin of right murder or, or adultery, as we put it, is they didn't gather manna when they were supposed to. Now, what was that? When God said. When God said. So, so lest we think that this is like, oh, look at this, this deep, horrible sin of murder. It's not that. It's just simple disobedience. But can I uh, help you to understand here, that the, the, it is not the, the grossest of sin that keeps us from being content. It's the simplest of them. The most trivial ways of disobedience that prevent us from entering into the rest of the Lord that the Lord has for us. And so, may the Lord help us to see how God deals with the discontent and the disobedient. And so as I mentioned this morning, I want us to see here, Exodus chapter 16, how we can identify when we are discontented, how we can identify when we are disobedient and find what that does in our lives. And to understand that God has an alternative with us. And that is what, well, the whole chapter is this. And I've mentioned it the last two times we preached from Exodus chapter 16, that God was going to provide for them daily manna. They were to depend for what God had for them today that God had for them. And God says, I will provide you. God, God did it for 40 years. And at the very same time that they can see the faithful hand of God every morning when they look at that manna, the only way that they would become discontented is when that manna no longer satisfy them. They had the idea that they need to find satisfaction in 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 something other than what God has provided. We will always be discontented as long as we look for something other than what God has provided for us. And that is what? His Word and Him. He, he abideth faithful. Even though we are unfaithful, we know He. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. When we fail, He abides faithful. And so, may the Lord help us to identify those things and to leave those things behind so that we can enter into the rest that He has for us. And the rest that we have is found in Christ. It's found in His Word.